3: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Now I'm a
4: Southern Child, Everybody knows
2: where I
1: was born. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe
0: to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern outdoorsman. Now let's get to the
1: episode. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, the first one of 2021. Jacob, how are you doing, man?
0: Doing well, man.
1: Just uh, coming in remotely this time, but other than that, doing doing fairly well. I mean, getting out hunting a little
0: bit, so it's, uh, it's been a, a decent time with kind of everything going on right now.
1: Yeah, for so. sure. So uh, you want to kind of explain to everybody uh, what we're doing with this episode? Yeah, sure thing. So this week's episode, guys, we are kind of
0: doing uh, some our take on some of our favorite episodes from the past, where we're actually going to uh, kind of break down some of these different guests, but actually have uh, segments from the episodes playing in this episode. So you can kind of hear some of these segments that are some of our favorites from over the years. Uh, and also, maybe especially so if you're a new listener, Maybe you find a couple episodes uh, that we covered today that you're like, crap, I never heard that one before. And then it gives you something else to be able to go back and check out. Uh, so I'm extremely excited about this. Actually, when we were sitting down and kind of breaking this out um, and going over the different you know, segments and the different guests and everything, it got me really excited, not only to listen back to some of these episodes. But also be able to kind of share this with you all in some segments that y'all can kind of, you know, check out and listen to, you know, I guess we've got six different guys uh, that we're going to have on for this, this episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to spoil it for everybody, I guess the guys that that we're going to be talking about are, of course, the granddaddy of them all, Glenn Solomon, uh, Richard Fott, Michael Perry, Josh Driver, Wes Moy, and Nathan Killen. Those are our, uh, some of our top episodes, and that's based on stuff that, that we like about them ourselves. But really, it's also based on the amount of listener success stories that we have gotten uh, based on all these episodes. Like every single one of these episodes produced a lot of listener success stories, which for me is like a really good metric to measure things by, because that tells us that, you know, the way that, that these guys hunt and the way they explained it clicked with the listener. And the listener was able to go out there and have success using it. So, these episodes are like gold to us. Because, uh, I mean, that's the whole point of doing this. is So, you can listen to it and go kill some nice bucks or some turkeys or whatever time of year it is, you know, that you're listening to this. So, I'm, I'm excited. I think I've actually been wanting to do this for a while. And it just, uh, it, it kind of the The timing this week was perfect because our initial interview fell through, so we we kind of had the opportunity this week to do this because uh, we haven't gone without a guest in a long time, have we? No, yeah, I say it's been a
0: while since it's been just you and me on here.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, so let's see. I I guess we can just get right into it here. Um, you know, I mean, so with Glenn Solomon, that Glenn Solomon is the episode that really I feel like gave us our start. Like uh, like producing at least quality content. I mean, we had a podcast before that, and we did do some good episodes, but Glenn Solomon ch- honestly very much changed the game for us. Uh, I mean, Glenn, he, the way that he came on and explained things, it just really clicked with us, and he changed that mindset. And he also changed how we do interviews with people. So uh, Glenn Solomon is like, if you haven't gone back and listened to it, that is like the quintessential episode. Right. I mean, that is like the episode you should go listen to first and foremost. Um, Jacob, what what do you have to say?
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, Pretty much if there's ever a new listener that reaches out or just somebody has never listened to the episode or listened to an episode from the Southern Outdoorsman, you know, the two episodes I always recommend and we're going to cover those today. Is episode one sixteen with Glenn Solomon and episode one forty one with Josh Driver. Uh, those two episodes have been two of the most impactful episodes. I personally believe that we've ever done. when, it, when what I mean by impactful is getting listener success stories coming in from those episodes. Uh, from those episodes, uh, it's by far the um, uh, you know in general this be anecdotal. But by far, in my opinion, has had some of the most success uh, when it comes to listeners is from those two episodes. But not only that, but they're also two very entertaining episodes coming from you know guys that are extremely successful in their style of hunting and kind of what makes them you know good and what's kind of allowed them to get the experiences that's allowed them to take the bucks they have taken. Uh, now, with Glenn, Glenn's a little bit different now. So Glenn actually passed away. Uh, not terribly long after we actually did this interview. About um, a month so, after we
1: did it. We were actually in the process of trying to get him on for a follow-up episode when he passed away. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, you know, died, you know, young in, young in my books um, with kind of everything that was kind of going on. But he passed away and unfortunately, you know, left a lot out there that a lot of people wish they could have, you know, kind of heard more from him about. Um, but again, I was very, very happy with kind of how we were able to, you know, document, you know, what's helped him be successful in a very short time span of only about an hour and 15 minutes, I think, for the episode uh, of the actual interview itself. Um, And, uh, again, I think this is a really solid episode. There's a lot of really good kind of segments in here that we're going to kind of listen to. You know, one of the first ones uh, that we're going to hear about is kind of how he scouts for a, a big buck's bed, but really how he focuses on these thick bedding areas. Uh, if you listen to that episode, you're going to hear that a lot of how he likes to focus on these thick bedding areas and trying to locate individual beds in the off season, and then finding a tree that he can climb and actually see into that bed uh, from you know the downwind side of the bed. Um, and he was extremely successful doing that and killing big deer. And actually, if you go back to listen to his episode, you will hear very early on about how he was able to take, I believe, was it five mature bucks in the yep. state of Georgia? Yep. all on public Five land.
1: bucks in one season in Georgia.
0: All so in public. two state tags, two state tags and three bonus buck tags. Um, and he breaks down every single one of them and pretty much every single one of them he kills either in their bed, coming right out of their bed or going right into their bed. Um, mm-hmm. so you're going to hear that quite a bit on these segments, but really, if you listen to the episode, you'll hear more about it. Also in the very first segment, you're going to hear a little bit more about how, uh, him or how Glenn would stagger hunt with a buddy on, uh, terrain features or stuff that a lot of people would just sit right on top of being like power lines, gas lines, uh, new cutovers, stuff like that. And how he talks about using a buddy to stagger hunt those, uh, and getting off in the woods and having a lot of success with that. Now, kind of going over to one of the other segments that we kind of dive a little bit deeper, is talking about him hunting uh, these bedding thickets and also the deer activity in the time span that so he is seeing these deer actually in their bedding area and he's not sitting like on the edge of the thicket he's getting off into these thickets uh getting right on top of these deer's beds and he's actually seeing them get up and move around throughout the day And he really breaks that down for us
1: yeah that that was that was a really fascinating part of the episode for me <laughs> oh yeah i
0: mean again it was just interesting to kind of hear his perspective on you know, what time of the days, you know, he sees the most success or sees the most deer and has success. But also, when he talks about, you know, every minute that goes by on a morning hunt is a minute closer to seeing a buck. And he truly believes that. And he talks about that as well in these segments. Um, and then, two, the last two segments uh, from Glenn Solomon, uh, his episode of 116, um, it talks a little bit more about staying mobile. Uh, he's a huge, or he was a huge, um believer in having a lot of backup spots. Uh, you know, he'd go into a three-day bonus buck hunt and he would have, you know, nine spots ready to go that, you know, he was gonna be bouncing around from. And he never hunted the same spot twice um in a season. So that's something that's really, really interesting uh, from a guy that's been, you know, that was getting after it on public land for um, you know, nearly forty years. Now, one of the last things that we cover with him, uh, which is probably one of the famous quotes from Glenn Solomon that anyone that's listened to the episode, you'll remember this. He always talks about the first time in is the best time. And he really kind of just breaks that down in a brief way, uh, just to kind of share his thoughts on why that's the case and why you need to focus on, you know, hunting a spot and going all in on that first hunt to try to kill that buck.
5: I would say the best thing is, you know, scout right after hunt, scout after season, find, walk, go right where, find right where the digger lay and back off. Put your stand figure where you're going to climb and uh, have your trail to get in there without using his trail and get in the tree super early, and you can stay
1: consistent all day long.
5: Now, hey, Glenn, that right and,
1: there is called making your own luck. Yes. Now, <laughs> hey,
0: okay, So so with all this being said, Glenn, and everything you're saying has got us absolutely fired up. And I know there's probably listeners right now freaking out because they're like, why have we never heard of this guy before? Oh, yeah. um, so, Glenn, when it comes to this, I've, I've got a question for you. You know, when you're hunting these super thick areas, uh, how often are some of these areas more so? You know, the shorter, nastier pines. And I'll give you, I give uh, the reason why I say that is some of the public land in Alabama we hunt. You know, majority of everything's pine. Uh, I know some of that in Georgia is the same way. I've scouted some public land in Georgia, and it seems like that's the case. You know, down your SMZs, down the uh, creeks and draws. You know, you'll have hardwoods, but everything else is pine. Do you ever find it consistently? Bigger deer in some of these shorter, nastier pines that sometimes won't even have all that much ground cover, but they're just so nasty and choked out. To hunt. One, of the, one of the
5: best places I got to three man here now that I'm putting to start hunting on a bar stool. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna carry look. All the a, a ground chair is too low. A ladder stand is too tall and, and too and too big for the little pine.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna get a,
5: a like a bull so. Uh, Oh, there's a lot of broom straw, and a lot of people don't realize a lot of these big uh, little pine plantations, young plantations. I got one here. You walk all the way around the perimeter; it's a thickest, nasty jungle. Man, they must have planted by an airplane. But once you get out in the middle, there's natural, natural openings everywhere, and trails and rubs and beds and and uh, I walk them pines. I mark every trail. I mark I mark places along trails where the most rubs is, and also where there's a trail. Now usually gonna be sitting on a trail junction because he's gonna he gonna connect the dots and one of the better trails are the ones that's just inside the pines. If it's parallel and parallel on uh, access trail that people walk or a power line or a road, so we've killed a lot of a lot of bucks, me and uh, some of my buddies uh, because these bucks when they're connecting looking for does, you probably seen them do it on the uh, on on regular roads. They come out, step on a road and they just come down a road sitting you know, sent checking every trail that crosses the road and run up the next trail, sent check the next one, run up. Yeah, kind of,
1: some, kind of cutting across them. Kind of cutting the
5: side to cover. And yeah, we had a, you know, we had a thing. My friend always laughed at me all the time. He said, mm, we'll, we'll stagger hunt. I mean, buddy system is great. If you got two friends and you you can't go wrong, you can about do this blind. Anywhere you got a power line, and gas line, uh, uh, opening, uh, you know, uh, Opening towards, you know, even if the deer cross the clear cut to some more land. deer normally cross uh, a lot to or from if infant's night sign. If you'll pair, if you'll hunt those parallel trails uh, alongside those uh, paths, you can kill some big bucks. What we'll usually do, want us to go in, want us to go in 50 yards and then go down a a couple hundred and go in about 100 yards. So that way, if that deer skirting the edge, if he wins, wind's one of us he's gonna swing out and, and hit the other one yeah and uh, buddy my buddy used to get him mad at me all the time about it i oh, hunting with a 270 short maggot very loud very loud on a cold morning he'd hear that he had good hearing we'd be hunting close i mean we could just see pieces of each other horn but we'd be hunting too, too you know and he'd, he'd hear the deer coming here and he'd go ahead and put his finger in his ear. boom <laughs> <laughs> Well, most of the time it's gonna be the, I mean, like the first first fifteen minutes of legal light, and then uh, usually around uh, eight thirty. For some reason, I always kept track of time i kill deer in the mornings, whether it be bucks, does, or, or whatever. And I would say in the morning time frame, probably eighty percent of my deer is between uh, eight fifteen and eight forty five. That's always been a sweet spot. I think what it is, that's usually about the time around this area in our part of Georgia, the sun gets top of the trees, and that's their trigger to get to their, get to their daytime bedding area. A lot of times people don't realize, especially in the manners area, you see a deer, you kill a deer between eight and nine, he's moving along browsing the sun. That deer that ain't really up moving the feet. He's actually browsing back. He's actually got up from his nighttime bedding area, because it takes him four to six hours to chew the cud on a full stomach. And most time these deer are gonna be bed around, you know, three yeah. or four o'clock. He had hunting pressure and rut and other variables of course, you know, a lot of time it's on the shorter time frame in. But them deer are actually going to lay down into in their daytime. They shift into their daytime bedding areas actually. A lot of those deer you see around the eight thirty give or take time. And then the next best time, if they bedded them for daylight, you know, adding that hour time, every minute you ain't seen nothing, that's a minute closer. To you. you gotta remember that. You know, about eleven. I've killed a ton of deer. I would say around eight, say eight thirty, my main time. My next best time is around a eleven thirty. I would say, give or take a few minutes. So that's usually when they, they up, they gonna stand up and stretch and use the bathroom and browse. They might be in there. i read they really Gotta be on top of the bed. there a lot of them won't come out to the main food source, uh, but they'll they'll be bedding, you know, and, and uh, browsing on whatever's around their bedding area. And they'll mill around. They'll get up five or six times, mill around a lot of times in those bedding areas. But you got to get high. And you mentioned the pine. I love them pine. They, I, I love a view 30, 40 foot up a pine. And you can see all, you see rabbits and head high gallberry bushes, you know, when you're up that high. Yeah. And, uh, and they feel safe. That deer's got he, got, he got weeds and stuff top of his back. He he, he pretty well thinks he's dead. And you mentioned like grasses and weed fields. I hunt. I hunted some weed fields on a couple in the. all oh, they got some a lot of lollipop here and, there, and you pretty much got to hang a, a ladder stand up there uh, drag a ladder stand out there and leave it in the bushes you know abandon it kind of you know what I mean and then hunt it, <laughs> it
0: yeah. comes
5: but yeah, there are a lot of deer over in them weed fields As long, if it's just high head high uh, a lot of some of these mare deer they got now used to be farm, and they let them grow up and bore them deer or everywhere everywhere i remember just tell me when they'd go cut with the tractor they just i'm coming out of the thicker wood seen a handful of deer i've always seen about 30 out here on the hill and, and i said well, dang that's completely reverse the deers ain't into going in the swamps we'll and thicker they're laying on the hill they coming, hunting them backwards yeah <laughs> but uh, i love the small there's always going to be deer in small pine and 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 wheat fields and and such, and uh, like, like I said, that's what we hunt out here, mostly pines, and, and with management areas, I really, I best to stay out of swamp, you know, when I'm talking about hunting swamps, I'm hunting the nastiest bog, bay, whatever they got in the whole thing, you know, yeah, but I'm, I'm primarily around pines or in pines the huge majority of the time.
1: Now, with the daytime beds, you mentioned daytime beds, and there's this idea in the whitetail hunting world that, you know, a buck specifically will go out and he'll usually put something to his back with the wind coming over his back. Like he might bet up against a log, and he's got the wind coming over his back, and he can see what's in front of him. And uh, so you yeah. can kind of use that strategy to more or less predict where exactly they might be laying. Have you seen any truth to that? Do you think that they're using the wind to their advantage and, and things like that?
5: Oh, yeah, they're going to bend. Well, they bend. They're going to have a, a wind or a good sharp angling wind blowing in their face when they bend it. And, uh, behind them is going to be something most of the time, you know, they could be something thick and looking out of a big opening. I, I've killed bucks that, you know, I had to wait for them to get up out of their bed because they're too close to a road even uh, kill them before. And, uh, I'll be 50 yards off a road to shoot one, you know, legal wise. Yeah. And, uh, they'll, they'll be it. I killed one of BF Grant one time. He was there. Bed- you walk down a long access road, probably three quarters of a mile. In fact, the editor, Brad Gill, I went up to B. F. Grant and every hunter there. He told me a long answer to the road to get deep. And uh, my buddy went up and which, and it curved off and we and he just went straight up on the ridge and and seen two big bucks. And that joke both them bucks was bedded behind a log, looking down the whole valley at the access trail, watching everybody come in and out for three hundred yards worth of walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so we uh that GPS where it went around the curves or we we'll walking down that road and I, I projected the waypoint. I could guess to me how far it was up on that ridge and kind of a canyon you got to go around. So I just projected the waypoint. We walked We walked about a half a mile just to hunt, you know, you know, we walked over a half a mile just to hunt less than a quarter mile from the road to circle around. I got about that log, about three minutes after daylight, he come around and I killed him right behind the log. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they like to be behind. They're going to have something where they can hear danger coming, hear danger or see it clearly, or something, and that, and, but, you, and you go have to try to figure out a way to, you know, peek in that back door, you got to figure a window, you know, I'll care limbs all retractable, and get, and a lot of times, you, you gotta, you ain't got a shot, you tree, you make, you finally get a tree, but there's foliage angling, you know, in your bullet path going diagonally down to where the deer is at, and you'll have to try to, you know, cut some of them limbs, out. you got to do all this stuff, and, you know, in January, February, go there where you turkey hunting at the latest, 'cause well, we he got months to get over it. But don't go there and mess around, rearrange his bedroom. Now I've seen them I've seen them lead the country. People go there and trim too much right around them. I know where I'm going to be every morning, or every evening, and I won't change that unless one spot uh, really hot. And uh, I also, ch- I will change up. I will change up. I'm getting glimpsing deer moving out of sight, hearing deer out of sight. And I don't, I won't wish them to come closer. I just get to go. I just get over there closer to what it was. Cause so one deer or two coming by me and I can't, and I figure it's a good buck or multiple deer come by. I'm, I'm hearing them getting down. And, uh, you know, unless there's some factors, I know they may circle back around, you know, uh, and, uh, depending on that area, wherever area is different, but I'll get down and move to that spot and hunt it on the ground right there. I'll just leave the climber and, and get over there where they at. And, uh, go ground hunting right there one or two deer moving during the rut they're go- if there's a hot doe come by you bet you bet your 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 bottom i'm gonna climb down and get over there I see everything on her uh trail yeah and I, and if i know she's hot if i know she's hot I'm going to get real hungry to leave but they going they're gonna be coming throughout the day and midday oh man I, you, you need to be mid all managers uh probably ten to two is one of the strongest Strongest times it is for, for a trophy with a trophy buck and then when all them uh they hear all them trucks and trucks and stuff rattling back to camp and going down the road crunching gravel beating and ramming around it gets quiet it's like pad lost dog they're slobbering they ready to roll <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, i see a lot of bugs i had a friend of my real good friend of mine He uh, he's a very successful wma hunter and he and uh, because of his health, it's hard for him to do two hunts a day. So if he goes in, he stays. He's not coming down to two or three o'clock. It's 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 unreal the numbers of, of quality bucks and and uh, he, that uh, he sees and takes and uh, and, yeah. I, and it's hard for me to sit at two or three o'clock. So what I do a lot of time, I'll sit at nine or nine thirty or ten, and I'll come, I'll run back to the truck, and I always have a secondary spot if I can't get quite to every tree I'm place I got planned to hunt, I got it somewhere nearby, either a little deeper or off to the side or right before, or off the side of the road. I got a backup. So I I run a truck regroup myself and I run a jump and stay in the state at two or three o'clock. And uh, I have a lot of success doing that. <laughs> you know, I've been in clubs too, you know, you can't get that from, you know, killing a doe you got named you see all the time out there, you know. Yeah. When so you go to WMA, you get just so much more thriller to chase. You got three days to do it. You hunting a pressured animal. You know, you ain't you ain't just sitting out there on that uh, doing a sit and you know, go to that same ladder, stand, sit and stare at a food plot and a feeder day in, day out, day in, day out. Or the same stretch of fire line day in, day out. I wanna look at something, like I said, I hunt every morning every rain and I hunt something different. I'm going in, you know, first time in is the best time, hands down and and uh, usually by finding the security areas i'm looking for 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 deer deer not necessarily big and i come across their sign i'll hunt them but i don't go out of my way but most of the time them best places you're going to see all the deer you're going to see your meat there you're going to see your big bucks. everything's going everything going to be right here and you know you got the ruts you got the girls boys going to be around there checking on them. that book going to connect the dots all you're going to do is run feeding and bedding areas all, all day or night feeding and bedding areas if you if you, uh, in them bedding areas, them girls, any few bust ever, ever do out of that bedding area, it might, it might take, off if I go in there and blow every do out of there, there's going to be a buck coming through. It might be a midday after the, everything settled down, scent dies off, dissipate. There's going to be uh, bucks coming through connecting dot, checking on that bedding area.
1: So moving on from Glenn, uh, another one that we did was Richard fought. So when you wrote down Richard, uh, are you talking about the first or the second episode we did with him? This would be the second episode, episode 118. Okay, because we did, we did too. It was like episode I want to say like 40-something. It was called The 10% <laughs> with Richard Fott, uh, which you can go and find. Um, I'm pretty sure it's on our website. Uh, iTunes only keeps 100 episodes back, so I don't think that you can find Richard's episode on iTunes anymore. Uh, so you might have to go to iHeartRadio or one of these other places to actually get that full episode. Um, but or you could just get it directly from our podcast feed, uh, which I'll put a link to in in the description or, or the show notes here. But Richard was a, a really good episode because if I had like boiled down Richard's episode and what it really did for at least you and me, uh, it was two things. It was understanding and capitalizing on feed sign, which is not something that we had done before. You know, you grow up and it's always like find the white oaks, find the acorns and, and, and that's true to an extent, but Richard really took it to the next level in his episode, uh, talking about, like, you're not looking for any oak tree. You're not looking for any kind of, you know, deer crap or tracks or rubs. You're looking for, like, a very specific kind of feed tree to have success on. And and we started implementing that right off the bat and almost instantly started seeing better results. Um, like, that Tennessee hunt comes to mind where you shot that doe, uh, that was like a feed tree type hunt, um, but really the main thing, if I, the biggest thing he did was talking about Hank like hunting with confidence and going in there and like believing in yourself. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's true. Like believing that you were about to kill a deer, like you're going in there with absolute confidence. Like I'm going in here today to kill a deer. I'm not going in here to hang in a tree and hope. I'm going in here to hunt. So. I mean, I would say that those are probably the two biggest things that at least I got out of it. Jacob, what do you think?
0: So, of course. And some of the segments that we cover and that y'all will hear in just a second is uh, one of the first segments is talking about feed trees and food sources. Uh, now, this is something that, you know, Richard's coming out of eastern Arkansas, kind of hunting uh, the big river bottoms of eastern Arkansas publicly. Uh, but one thing that we've learned from listening to this episode is you know, Maybe some of the food sources are a little bit different where you hunt at, wherever you may be listening from, but you can still apply how he locates these food sources and what to look for that tells you that this is a hot feed tree. Um, now, on the, set, the second segment from Richard uh, talks more about locating these feed trees in kind of big river bottom settings, but also how to be able to tell if it's a good tree with feed signs. And he talks about uh MRS, most recent sign. Uh and that's really important because that's a big thing that uh Richard believes in is you know there's difference between and if you listen to the full episode you hear this quite a bit, but there's a big difference between hunting sign and hunting hot sign. It's mm-hmm. a huge difference. It can make or break whether or not, you know, you actually even have a deer within bow range or even see a deer for the difference between hunting regular deer sign, which might be three, four, five days older, not older, versus hunting super hot. Feed sign, And that's something that he really sticks with and has a lot of success with. Um, Now, one of the other uh, kind of tidbits or segments uh, that you'll hear from, which is Andrew, you kind of just touched on it, um, is hunting with confidence and, and don't hang in hope. And that's something he talks about quite a bit. And that's actually the name of the episode is Hunting with Confidence. Um, because it's, it's such a big thing. And to be honest, I actually was glad I re-listened to that episode, at least parts of it going through and finding segments, because it kind of showed me kind of what my mindset was like in 20, I guess that was 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and gave me a new perspective, you know, verse actually, no, that was summer 2019, um compared to kind of like what's going on now again it, it was very very interesting to kind of get that perspective again of you know why hunting with confidence and as he explains and you'll hear it in just a bit you know talking about you know we all go into the woods to kill a deer you know if, if you weren't trying to kill a deer you know during deer season you wouldn't be walking in the woods with a weapon in your hand you'd be with a camera or just you know just in the woods hiking around so you know all of our goal is or our goal out there is to Kill a deer, you know, being out there. So why not put yourself in the best opportunity to do that in hunting with confidence? For just sitting
2: in a spot and just you know hanging, hoping. Man, I uh, you know I I guess when I ninety percent of the time when you hear me talk about a feed tree, or I found a feed tree. uh it, It's going to be a red oak acorn, a striped red oak acorn, and I know there's a lot of different names for them out there, the technical names and all that. But for it, anybody that hunts. The river bottoms it's a, it's a we call them the the striped red oaks and it's a it's a bigger red oak acre that it's got a dark it's gonna have a dark stripe all the way all the way around it's gonna be striped dark and those acorns start falling in late september through february i mean there's you know you for whatever reason you can find trees dropping them early and you can find trees dropping them late and the key to them is finding the trees now you, st- you know, you've got your white oats, your, your, your overcups, you've got all your hard mass trees, um, your acorn-type trees. Then, you you know, you go into, for sure, your persimmons, and, and even, man, you know, that first week or two seasons, I, I've been, I've had magic on musky dive vines. And we talk about I feed trees, to me it's any type of food source that's fallen you know whatever it is locust uh honey locust pods uh some of the areas that i hunt that's the feed tree you know i mean that's what we're hunting so and finding those it's 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 legwork i mean you because it's never the same trees dropping year you know to date year in year out uh sometimes a group of trees that that were just raining acorns last year won't have any on them this year but a hundred yards from there the ones that didn't have any will have lots of them on and we've never had i you know i don't know why some of them do that the way they do and i i don't believe it's any kind of a rotation deal or something like that because i've got a group of trees i've got three trees on one ridge in an area that always have acorns on them and for for some reason they'll drop from, from October, mid-October until mid-February. One tree will drop a few, and then another will drop a few, and then one will drop a few, and then they'll hold on to some, and they'll drop. And Those trees, just any time that I want to go, I don't have time to go scouting, and I need a place to go hunting where I feel confident I may kill a big deer, I can go to those trees, and there are always going to be some acres there with some deer signs. Man, I guess we we'll probably need to go back to the basics if we're, if we're gonna, you know, really talk to guys that don't know. Let's do it's it. It's easy. You know, it's easy for me to give you the straightforward answer and all of the, the guys and, and, and ladies out there that know what I'm talking about, it's simple. You know, they know they'll know what I'm saying. But for you know, we take for granted guys don't know that red oaks typically grow on what we call a ridge, a red oak ridge. And I can send new guys out there, guys that really don't know this bottom land, and they walk for miles and never see a ridge. And I'm like, well, you cross five or six. And they're like, man, I ain't seen a ridge. Well, our ridges are slight, slight changes in the elevations, but they're ridges. You know, I mean, it, it goes from 160 to 165 ground, or from 165 to 170 ground, or from 145 to 150. And then it falls back off, and that's our ridges. All right. Now our red oaks are going to grow on what we call a red oak ridge. It'll be a it'll be a slight ridge, and there will be red oaks on that ridge. Our overcups are going to grow in the the slues or the flats. We call them overcup flats. It'll be a uh, typically it's basically a big slough, but it'll be a big flat area, and that'll be your slightly lower ground. So the first thing, the easiest thing a person could do would be to really really learn to read topo and satellite imagery maps uh and and and, and then go look at the woods and say okay this is the red oak trees and and you look at your map and your satellite map your your ridges will always be a little bit darker on those on a satellite maps if you'll really look at a satellite map of the woods you're hunting you will start to see darker lines in in that and that's your ridges um typically always that's going to be a, a, a red oak ridge if you're in the bottom um and that's what i look for if if the deer are on if we don't have really red oaks in our own overcups, then my scouting my hunting tactic is going to be go straight to a place that i know has overcuts you know whether i'm i'm just walking up slew beds or whether i'm in a big flat or something like that it's not going to do me any good to be up on a red oak ridge if there's not any red oaks dropping or if they're on overcuts right now. And vice versa, if if, if we've got a good red oak crop, I know that's where they want to be. Then I'm going to, I'm, I'm fixing to hit a ridge with the wind in my face and I'm just going to slip and I just, you know, I just watch in front of me. And you'll, you'll, you'll find, it's not bass fishing, anybody that bass fishes or any kind of fishing actually, but a pattern will develop. You will start to see that, okay, this size tree. And it may be a tree as big as your waist, and it may be a tree that you can't reach around. And those trees at certain times will be the trees that are dropping acorns. And then I just start looking, you know, up through the woods for those types of trees and and just ease to them. And when I find one that is dropping, all right, when you find a tree that's dropping acorns, if it's just dropping acorns and it doesn't have, it doesn't look like a garden tiller's been under it, you probably don't need to hunt it. The deer haven't found it yet, but you need to mark that tree because two days from now, that tree may be, maybe burn up. Um, you know, they may be wearing it out. And so you. I just keep scouting until I find a tree that is dropping and a tree that has a lot of fresh deer sign under it. You'll have the fresh busted acorns. And people ask me all the time, how do you know when you find a good tree? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You walk under that tree, you know. The ground is, I don't care how hard it is. There is a difference in the look of the ground under a set of acorn trees that deer are hitting hard at, you know, right then. And MRS, most recent signs, that's what I hunt. I mean, I'm going to be on fresh sign or I'm not going to hang and hunt. And them acorns, a lot of times, especially earlier in the year, you know, you can, you can, you'll find a tree that's loaded with acorns, but they're just starting to drop. So, That tree has a lot of sign under it, but no acorns. But if you look up in that tree and that tree is still holding a bunch of acorns, then that tree's probably fixing to be good for the next week, maybe two. Now, it may not be a tree that you go to and you have deer just funneling to it all day because it's not dropping in that yet. But something that I have found is early in the year. When you get the first trees that really start dropping, cow oak acorns, we call them cow oaks. They're big, white oak acorns. Chestnut acorns. Chestnut oaks, I think, is what they actually are. We call them cow oaks. A lot of times, those acorns will start falling first in in areas that I hunt. And I have actually seen hunt those areas, and when they would fall and hit the ground, deer would come running to them. These deer are close enough that they can hear, and this is a big acorn. They can hear this big acorn hit the ground and they will come to it, and any time you go there, you'll spook deer out because they're laying under them, and they will keep coming back to these trees because that's the first acorns that are dropping, Uh, and then you know, on up to middle, middle late October when every acorn tree in the woods that's got acorns starts dropping, that all changes, but that's how we find them, you know, we we, or I find them, and the guys that hunt with me, we target a specific type tree typically, and then we go to that tree, you know, in, in the hill country, it's white oaks, it's the it's the original old white oak, and, you know, we we just start trying to find the ones that are dropping that the deer hit because not all acorns are con- are, are created evenly for some reason. You know, um, you can, you'll can have five trees dropping acorns, and one of those trees, for whatever reason, will be getting hammered, and the deer won't only mess with the, the other three or four that's around it. And I, I don't know why that is either, but we've seen that happen a bunch of times to where they would walk past two or three acre trees that was dropping and go eat under a specific tree. And you wanna be on that tree, it doesn't do you any good to be on a feed tree if there's not deer sign under it. So, you know, you gotta you gotta learn to look for your deer sign along with your feed trees and finding your feed trees probably comes from learning to map read first, maybe? man don't do the same thing over and over without results uh don't don't fall into the mindset that um just being out in the woods hunting is is a success it's we all hunt to kill we whether you say you do or you don't if you if you wasn't out there to kill a deer you would be out there with a camera or you would be doing something in the woods totally different. you wouldn't be toting a weapon out in the woods, if your goal wasn't to kill a deer, so now I'm not saying that every hunt you have to kill a deer because we don't. I mean, a lot of us have get you know we're getting really selective, and that's a good thing. But don't don't get caught up in the mindset of um, you don't see a deer every hunt, or you know I'm happy if I see a deer after two or three hunts. No, you're not. Nobody is. I mean, be honest with yourself and say, okay, I want to see deer. I want to see deer on every hunt. I want to know how to find those deer. How do, now? How do I do that? Um, you start walking. You leave the area that you're not seeing deer completely. For some reason, they're either not there or they know you're there. I mean, that's you know that that's what's happening there. Go somewhere else. Drive 25 miles to a different area. Go look at some different terrain. Um, start walking and find fresh deer sign and learn to read fresh deer sign i mean that's one of the biggest things if you don't know what you're looking for be honest about that and there's so much information available to guys now on the internet or uh youtube i mean there's just you know call me text me call me message me Uh, anybody that ain't on my tnu page they're listening to this podcast. You know, you've known me for a long time through the page, and and we we finally got to meet this year at the at the the bow show. But I mean, anytime you called and talked to me, I, I gave you everything that I knew. Honestly, I don't mind helping. And if somebody doesn't know, they shoot me a message. You know, I'll try to explain to them what you're looking for out there. Go find those. Go find some fresh signs. Keep the wind in your face and be silent uh sneak be quiet but but more than anything don't get don't do the same thing over and over and over don't go to the same lock on tree that you've got hung up and hunt it 10 times in a row and you're not seeing deer get you a climbing stand and make a move get you a tree saddle and make a move get you a a a light set of sticks and a light lock on stand if that's the style of hunting you like to do but make a move
1: all right another absolute favorite that uh people have like written in about another guy who who we've had on more than once mr michael perry um michael is well known at least in alabama for like just killing a bunch of nice bucks every year he he kills nice bucks he's already tagged out this year and he hunts um some of the hardest places in alabama to kill a deer which is bankhead national forest uh which he talks about in the episode a lot you know, a place that is faced with a lot of hunting pressure, like a ton of hunting pressure and very low deer densities um, and just a, a really interesting place to hunt. And he's got it, I mean, figured out. Um, and he he focuses mainly on, you know, bluff gaps, pinch points, stuff like that. But the he dives super in depth with it in the episode. Uh, Jacob, what do you have for notes on his?
0: Yeah, so Michael Perry, this is episode 139, uh, which is the first time that we had Michael on. Uh, Michael is just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we also had him on for episode 200, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that. That's a much more recent episode, though. Uh, but episode 139 with Michael Perry, uh, you know, one thing that kind of gets us started uh, kind of early on uh, with the kind of the first segment is uh, what changes that he did, uh, you know, many years ago to start having more success on public land targeting you know, mature deer. And that's something that's, you know, really interesting and worth taking a heart on, you know, kind of why that made him successful. Now, a little bit later on, we kind of dive into uh, a segment where uh, he really breaks down, you know, these pitch point travel corridors and bluffs uh, in a segment where he really just kind of talks about what he likes to focus on when hunting that kind of mountainous terrain that you find like in Bankhead National Forest. Uh, which is very, very different from what you find in a lot of other places in Alabama. Um, so that that's something that's really interesting. We had a lot of really good feedback from those episode, from that episode. And uh, hopefully, again, uh, these segments maybe uh, kind of pique your interest and maybe you can go back and kind of re-listen to that episode and kind of pull more out of it. Well, my first tactics is kind of what a lot of people
6: start out doing and some still do is, is hunting scrapes and rubs and stuff like that and just a real visual sign and I finally learned to try to I like that sign being there but I try to stay away from actually hunting it because I've learned over the years especially on public land a lot of that's night time and uh, night time activity and, and I've burnt many hours looking at scrapes and rubs and rub lines and then not see a deer or see small deer so I finally try to Piece together of, of looking at a spot, finding pretty much the does hang out. They they stay pretty much there all year. See how they use the area, then put together thinking that bucks try to travel higher and run more edges and thicker stuff. And and started hunting pinch points with edges, higher parts of the hills and um. Above creek crossings and stuff like that versus hunting feeding sign. Uh, you know, I like seeing feeding sign stuff like that. I'm trying to figure out how to catch them going to the feeding sign or going to the bed. One of the two. Mm-hmm. That way, you're not if you're going into the feeding sign a lot or going into the bedroom, your it, your you're, you're, your chances go down significantly after the first hunt because they'll figure they'll figure you out quick that that you've been there. hmm
1: what now? Here's a here's a question for you. um when you're kind of cutting your teeth on this, what do you think was the biggest mistake that you were making uh, that was holding you back? Biggest mistake is, like I say, hunting scrapes or hunting right there where you were
6: with fresh deer sign eating acorns or or uh, like a creek crossing. When I first started hunting creek crossing, I was staying right on the close to the creeks, and I finally learned that most of the time they don't exactly cross the same place all the time and the way the wind is or drafts it the drafts up and down the creek and you'll get picked off and I've learned to stay higher find the creek crossings look at the area and see where they where the closest bedding area or the thickest stuff and and see how they're going to access from the creek crossing to that area and stay above higher where your scent is not drift as much down it's going when the morning sun comes your draft comes up and your scent is basically above what you're watching and that's that's that has helped me tremendously it's it's not to get too close to the actual creek crossing and just staying higher up and finding the pinch points like bluff gaps or wood lines that change say hardwoods coming to pines or thick thick woods coming to open woods or something like that where they travel the edges and staying out of pretty woods
0: you, gotcha. And that was a question I was going to have is, you know, you're talking about, you know, seeing a lot of these bucks and finding these bucks up in a little higher elevation areas where they're kind of, you know, cruising a little bit higher. And you're talking about not necessarily hunting, you know, the feed sign or the bedding areas, but you're hunting in the middle of them. Can you give us an example of like, what are you looking for as in a perfect pinch point between a bedding area and maybe a food source? And like, how do you go about hunting those areas?
6: Well, I, I, I look for places, especially um, the hardwood ridges, mountains that we have say here. But the, look for the ones that have got blowdowns and uh, lot, mountain laurels on the lower edges. Old logging roads that have a lot of mountain laurel growths on them. Look for bluff gaps and more possibly one or two more or three ridges come down to a point. That goes down toward a creek and then say across from it and a couple more ridges or a long point that comes to that's closer to the creek and when the, they're traveling they come up either one of them say a couple points or three points or two points they can easily access back up to another baiting area or transitional area higher instead of getting caught in the open woods so if you look at the map you find say a saddle or two or two, three ridges come down together and, and across the creek or whatever it goes up two, three more ridges. When you go look at, lay your eyes on this, you know, it, it's it's hard to do just going blind. You know, topo and then the, the plant uh, direct imagery and stuff like that don't really show the timber that good. So you can get down there and you, it's, it lay eyes on it and find where say pine transition into hardwoods or hardwoods transition into, uh, of, say select, cut uh, some kind of edge, just any kind of change or anything. If a bluff cap is close to that change, that makes it that much better. It's just more of a natural funnel. They don't really, they don't really know it, but they 'cause they just love using edges, and then kind of tie that together, and then get where you can see the edge and stay. You know, you don't want to get plumbed into the thick. Because, like I say, if you, it's just like somebody coming into your house and they're hunting right there in your bedroom or somebody's in your bedroom you're gonna find out and you're gonna know quick. Deer are the same way their nose and eyes and ears is way better than ours, so they can they know when they're disturbed, so stay just I just stay out to the where I can see into the edge of the thing just and say like I say four, stay above the, the crossing and where the when the sun comes up you're getting a draft up and you're above watching so the actual funnel or trail.
1: So for for like a bluff gap, um, I want to go into a little bit more detail about that. Uh, can you kind of explain what a bluff gap is, and whether or not there's certain features of a bluff gap that make it uh, better than other bluff gaps?
6: Well, you say so you just take off walking, go to, or you look on topo and then look at the train and and find some bluffs, and you just walk on the top side of bluffs and walk. Just keep walking the edges, and a lot of times they will be a trail not far from the top, and then you just follow them trails on around, and you'll see where well, they where well, they either go down or, or if they're on the bottom, they're going up, and they use that because they're they're basically forced to, and it it's because it's just you know they're not going to jump off a hundred foot bluff, they're going they're going to find a point where they can slide down and then come up, and you'd be surprised some of them be like stair step, where they got to make four or five foot jumps. I've seen pigs. Do the same thing, they travel up. But, but, the the ones they use is generally close to some kind of blow down area, or say, slack cut or thicker areas to, 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 to go bed at. So, or they are they're more or less traveling to, say, the food plot on the other side of it or something like that. They're not, they're not just gonna go traveling through the open woods when they're doing that. They're gonna, they're gonna use a gap that's, that's got thick close to it. Basically no, say, that where you, suspected bedding is. The bedding changes somewhat, but don't always, especially a buck, he always bed at the same place and he don't always access it the same way. So it's, you kind of try to think like a criminal. all right, so he's going to go from his house to Walmart or to look for the girls. He's not going to use the main highway. He's going to use side roads, just with, you know, with dark roads, nothing well lit or, or something like that. The deer's going to just use, a buck's going to use a, a slick edge dark shadowy you know timber that he can jump he can jump from one say from one edge to other then just any sign of trouble and then not get caught and and that's that's what i'm looking for
1: next up on the line is josh driver josh is uh (laughs) we've recorded with him three times and but the one we're talking about here is 141 which is the first time we recorded with josh and josh uh, we quote his his episode quite often. I mean, I feel like almost every single show we quote him. So you've probably heard us talk about it if you've been listening for any amount of time. Um, the cool thing about Josh is, like, he is uh, he's a really good deer hunter, and he's killed a lot of really nice bucks. And one of the cool things that I really like about Josh's episode, if you're, like, a, a total, like, whitetail nerd, and you, like, really like to to plan and strategize and get like really in depth with deer hunting. That episode is for you. Uh, Josh driver's like a, you know, he's, he's been on the hunting beast forum for a long time, um, which, but he's not, you know, your typical, I wouldn't say that Josh is like your typical quote unquote hunting beast guy. I mean, he's got some pretty big disagreements uh, with Dan and fault about certain things, which you can listen to the episode and, and hear all about that. But Josh, if, if you want to nerd out, it is an excellent episode to nerd out on i mean we talk about everything from habitat terrain features wind thermals bump and dump core areas for bucks finding bucks social hubs like you name it uh it was just a very 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 fun episode to record but also just the amount of feedback we got on that episode was ridiculous i mean we had a lot of people really enjoy that episode and i'm pretty sure that episode is all-time leader for listener success stories
0: Oh, 100%. And, you know, the crazy thing about that episode, when that episode dropped on a Monday, that Friday, um, or maybe it was that Saturday, we had two listeners, local listeners, go out and kill two freaking slammers using tips from that episode of kind of going to some spots that they didn't have a ton of experience with, but going in off of what Josh talks about, hunting diversity and edges, and went in and killed, like, I think one of the guys killed a a 14 point, the other one killed, like, a real big nine point. Um, So, you know, it absolutely works. Uh, you know, his his uh, his kind of breakdown absolutely is money. money. Uh, you know, one of the first segments that you hear about uh, from Josh's episode, episode 141, talks about kind of his overall thought on kind of these core areas and how he kind of finds and, and picks those apart. Uh, and we kind of go into uh, there's actually quite a few segments with Josh. Um, the next one's kind of go- talking a lot about edges and it's all about edges. Uh, that's kind of the name of that segment and how he likes to focus on edges and terrain habitat edges uh, to, you know, not only figure out how he's going to get to to and from a spot, but also how he's going to locate, find and kill a buck coming out of his bed in the evening.
1: Then now, another, go- another one jumping forward a little bit is the where he talked about that bump and dump he did. Uh, this segment is very interesting. Uh, just because, like, I remember when he told us that story, we like freaked out a little bit. It was a it was a really cool story on a really good buck.
0: Yeah, our reaction is actually kind of hilarious. I think it's in the it's, it's going to be in the segment. But yeah, he talks about buffing up in um, a buck, but really he talks about this in a couple a couple of these segments of where he's actually going in. He's trying to actually kick up the buck, and he he likes to do this in like early season or just before season comes in. Actually, kick up the buck from his bed and then kind of learn everything he can about that buck at that time, pick out the trees in a climb and then come back in it, you know, whenever the next time the conditions are right, uh, that the bucks gonna be using the bed, Uh, whether it's the next day or if it's two weeks down the road or a month down the road. Um, But he also talks about uh, negative terrain uh, in one of these segments, which is really interesting about how, you know, there's what he calls negative terrain where deer aren't, are not using certain parts of terrain during daylight times which what he would call is like the open hardwood bottoms. And that's how he enters and exits uh, his spots without, you know, messing up the deer or, you know, kind of ruining his areas. Now, another segment that which is really interesting is when he starts talking about cores and kind of how he likes to find cores and why it's so important for him and his style of hunting of hunting specific deer to find and locate a buck's core. And he talks about in the episode again. I highly recommend re-listening to this episode if you haven't. Um, but he really talks a lot about how a buck's core can be the absolute same area. You can kill a mature buck from a spot, and then the next year, or a, maybe um, you know, two years later, you have another mature buck doing the exact same thing in the exact same core area. Uh, And that's something that's very, very interesting. And that's something that he's had a lot of success with, is finding those spots like that. Now, also, one thing that anyone's ever listened to Josh River's episode has heard him talk about, uh, his compounding features. You You know, these crow's foot, social hubs, thermal hubs. And we've got a couple segments here that really dive very deep on that topic, or those topics. And really, how he likes to focus in on those for locating deer, but also... Uh, which if you listen to this episode, you you hear how he's not a rut hunter. He actually likes to only hunt early season and late season. Um, and that being said, he talks about some of these things that when he used to hunt the rut, or if he's trying to locate a deer, you know, with trail cameras, how he'll focus on some of these terrain features and have success doing that. Um, and one of the last things that he really dives into is the social hubs, which for a rut hunter is really, really interesting to hear about and something that I think we can all have success
7: with. That Probably the most basic it would get is it's all about edges, and edges are created by structure, cover, or terrain, and it doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in hill country, or in, you're in swamps and marshes, or if you're in suburbia, uh, you know, old mine strip mines, farmland. No matter where you're at, bucks use it all exactly the same way, and it's all about the edges,
0: Okay, now, from going from the edges, what's like the next step up? Like, what's the next thing someone's going to have to know uh, to kind of start relaying and putting all this together and kind of, you know, putting all the pieces of a puzzle together to kind of map out what the deer are doing in their area? So, like, what's the next step up after they understand the edges?
7: Edges create, create diversity. I would say the next step would be to learn is to use those edges to your advantage with the wind. With your entrance and your exit and the, and the wind using you, you you use those those edges or the deer use those edges to their advantage but that's the chink in their armor you can also use those edges to your advantage you know with the wind and your entrance and your exit and it's basically the only way to kill them is if they don't know you're there well if they use them to their advantage the deer use they travel along the edges and bed along edges and they usually bed and travel with the wind they'll not travel so much but bed with the wind in their favor but they've always got they've always got some sort of an advantage or what they feel is an advantage it may not be an advantage actually but they feel like it's an advantage and it may be towards other predators they're in the woods but if you understand how that works then what you can do is you can slip up and slip up from the bottoms what i'll do is i always come in from the bottom or come in from open terrain or what i call negative terrain terrain that the deer don't normally use during the daylight or when it's windy winds are swirling. Thermals are rising. Uh, open during the day. Of course, darkness is the best cover of all.
1: So, uh, so what about this negative space you were talking about? Uh, can you
7: can uh, you elaborate on that? I call it negative terrain, and it's it's areas that the deer do not use during the day are typically used during the day uh, when your winds. You know, of course, you know everything's pretty much dead calm normally. You know, at, at night, in the evenings, early morning, and at night. So during the day, when your winds are blowing and swirling, your thermals are rising. Uh, there's nothing consistent about your winds. You get all kind of eddies, mechanical turbulence, uh, and then of course your your open fields, which which during, at night deer use them all the time because cover, you know, darkness is the best cover of all. So whatever deer do not use during the day, typically I call negative train. So I use negative train to my advantage, setting up and with the wind, and only hunt the positive train where deer are normally at at night you know up on the ridges on top the benches uh uh the thick cover the woods you know the, the areas where deer are typically at during the day usually to try to find a specific deer i want to hunt i'll use two to three two to three cameras in an area that i believe is a core or has been a core in the past because these these same areas will be cores year after year after year hmm. uh They may skip a year, skip a year, and another mature buck will move in. And I will use two to three cameras in each area. And then once I find a specific deer that I want to kill, then I'll move five or six cameras into it. And then I'll run them, and I'll figure him out. And, I mean, I'll go in during the day and find out exactly where he's bedding, exactly how he's moving, and everything. And then I'll pull him completely out. I might lose one or two just to soak a little bit, and then I'll go in and kill him.
1: So you're starting with less cameras and then ending with more like you're putting yes and how many acres you know would you say you're covering what do
7: you think this core area is? man that's, that that's that's a specific deer you have you have no idea uh, it's much much smaller on a, on a big mature buck, it's much smaller than most people believe and a lot of times they, they try to they try to equate on your collar studies things like that they try to equate core areas you know to the rut and and I mean I guess that's correct but everything just kind of goes way off kilter and it throws their data way off whenever they start trying when they start trying to compare that to actual size of the core they start trying to compare what what's happening from let's say where I'm at October the 25th to December the 5th it throws everything way off yeah, you know, because they're they're out looking for does all over the place. The buck that's here, maybe three miles over there today. The buck is three miles over there today, maybe here tomorrow. Now, I've i did it in the past. I, I killed one on a he was bedding on a riverbank one time and it was kind of an accident. Uh, there was a huge there's a huge community scrape about fifty yards from where he was bedding. But I slipped in there and all of a sudden I heard him hit the river. And I looked over, I walked over to the bank. I was probably about fifty, about 15 yards from the bank. And I walked over to the bank, and I seen him come out the other side. It was a big 10-pointer, scored 164. But I set up the very next weekend, I set up on that community scrape, and I watched him swim the river in bed in that bed and lay there until about 11 o'clock in the morning, from about just, just after daylight to 11 o'clock in the morning. He got up, browsed around two or three times, never did offer a shot. 11 o'clock in the morning he came over to work that
0: community straight and I shot him (laughs) oh that's cool man
1: that is awesome that is super freaking dreams are made of I'm dreaming about that tonight (laughs) 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 all right
0: Josh so okay so you you said you you kind of had some experience there you know how long have you been doing that how long have you been you know once you kind of find out there's a deer in the area going in bumping him and then trying to set up on him later and After you answer that I want you to kinda answer, you know, how long do you normally wait after bumping a deer from his bed from going back in there and killing him?
7: I you know, in a in a mature bug's core in his core area where he stays all the time, as long as you're not real crazy with with cutting limbs and spreading sin all over the place, you could probably go in and kill him the very next day. I mean he he's he's bedding there for a reason. He's bedding there because he feels safe. That's that's why he's bedding there. And and one bump, one bump is not going to do anything. If you bump him over and over and over, day after day after day, he's going to go somewhere else. But but just a bump, he's he's not going to go anywhere. And a lot of times, I don't even see the buck when I bed. He usually slips out before I ever even see. I find the bed, and I never even knew it was there. I just find his bed. Like a, a compounded feature, like you have a you have a low point, and it rolls around, and it rolls around into a uh, like a bench that wraps up into a high crow's foot. And just above that high crow's foot, you've got a saddle. So uh, You have several features that are all playing. Like you don't just have a saddle. You don't just have a high crow's foot, which is a thermal hub. You don't just have a bench. You don't just have a ben- a, a point. You have all these things that are playing on each other. And that creates a dynamic. That creates a, an awesome spot. that's almost for sure going to have a buck on it. Uh, a lot of people, they'll, they'll look for a bench, and that's it don't really think about anything else or they might look for a thermal hub once they they now that they know what one is Uh, and they may look for a point and maybe there's a buck bed it. they may look for a saddle you know but if all these things you know you can hunt i can show you all kinds of benches that do not have trails on them they're not used at all there's no bucks bedding on them there's no scrapes on Mm -hmm. but i can also look on a map to one i've never been in my life and point you one it is it does have a trail on it and it's going to have be used it's going to have uh scrapes on it it's going to be have old rubs from years on it because it everything plays together it's all a dynamic it all all plays into one
0: gotcha josh now you know one thing uh, some, some terminology here i want us to kind of go over for listeners that might not truly understand can you go over what a thermal hub is with your description uh along with a crow's foot
7: now a crow's foot is where several ridges and uh, hollows come down into one point. Uh, now, a low crow's foot, you know, it's way down in the bottom, you know, with, with a bunch of big, big hollows that come into it. A lot of time, what they create is a social hub. It's not, it, I mean, it's it's a it's a thermal hub, but it's also a social hub because they connect separate ridge networks. And If you connect several ridge networks, then you're connecting separate deer, I and mean, it's kind of like a... Uh, from one county to another county to another county. It's like like your cities will be on this ridge and another town will be on this ridge and another town will be on this ridge. And this big crow's foot in the bottom, which is a which acts as a thermal hub, connects these ridges together. And all and you'll have big community scrapes and things of that sort a lot of times in these these large uh what I call a social hub in the bottoms. Now a thermal hub is way up top. It's it's up real high. Uh, a lot of times it's created by sediment. You know, there, there's there's like a hard a hard sediment, you know, in the ground that you know they created. You know, in the erosion, there's there's a high crow's foot way up high. And a lot of times they have uh, uh, benches that are connected to them and points that are connected to them, flat points, and the deer will roll around into those. That's where your bucks will roll around off those benches and points up into a high crow's foot, and they can smell. And that's that is a thermal hub, you know, and your all the scent drops down. Once your thermals reverse start to fall, they'll drop down off to all the points there, usually about midway to one-third of a ridge. What I've, The biggest thing, and what I've keyed in on here recently, uh, you know, the last I'd say five, six years, is I had areas that were bucks cores year after year. Uh, it may skip a year, and it, you'd be from one buck to another buck. And for a long time, I couldn't figure out why this buck would choose this spot as a score, or this buck would choose the same spot as his core why well, would buck after bucks choose the exact same spot as their core areas and then it hit me that these bucks weren't choosing the same spot as their core that the core area was actually a manifestation of central needs it was the variety the diversity the security the water that all that like the environment itself created the core and drew the buck and held him. he has no idea what a core even is now a buck does not have a clue what a core area is and Whenever I removed the buck making a choice of finding a core for itself, which left all kind of mystery, why would he do that? And I added that they're not choosing anything, that the environment itself creates the core, that a buck doesn't even know what a core is. Then that removed all the mystery and it added predictability. Now I can find cores in areas that I've never been to in my life by looking for the variety and the diversity and the security and isolation and the water. I use my. I put my cameras into those areas. I find a buck I want to kill. Going, I scout it real hard. Going,
1: I kill it. All right, one of my absolute personal favorites, uh, just because I don't know, like the, the the tactic, really, really like, I don't know, is very interesting to me. And plus, he's a funny dude and a good guy. Wes Moy. Um, Wes, we. We interviewed Wes about their wolf pack tactic. Another thing you've certainly heard about on an episode, if you've been listening for any amount of time. We interviewed Wes about this time last year, kind of in January, a lot of people were winding down, and so uh, I kind of was wishing that we could have got him on earlier, but we got him on early this year, Uh, but this is the first episode we did with him. Uh, It's episode 146. Um, and Wes, we got on there and talked about all kinds of stuff and we covered a lot of ground in this episode. And honestly, I missed so much of it when we recorded with him and when I edited it and re-listened to it, I, I missed so much compared to right now. Like when I was going back through this episode, I was like, holy crap, there's a lot here that I need to re-listen to it myself. Um, especially now that we got the chance to hunt with him and his wolf pack buddies the other, uh, like two, three weeks ago. Everything he talks about makes so much more sense. And some of the things he said are just like super intriguing and things that work year in and year out for him and things that like I could definitely see working for us. Um, and <clears throat> one of those is um, picking a thicket that will hold a deer. Um, what, around like the 38-minute mark, Wes goes into this talk where he's talking about like... Picking the thicket that they want to start hunting and like, how do you know it's going to hold a deer? How do you know it's going to hold a nice buck? You know, we all know some of these thickets down here in the South can be huge. I mean, like several hundred acres in some cases, how do you know where that deer is going to be in that thicket? You know, if you've got a 130 acre cutover, like, you know, that's a, that's a really big area that that thing could be laying so how do you kind of isolate the the region of that thicket that that buck is gonna be in? Um, and he had a quote, which it'll play here in a second, but one thing I just found super interesting is where he's talking about,, um, connect like find the thicket. And after you find that, you want to find the escape route. And this is like so ridiculously applicable for anybody in the South who hunts public land who hunts a private club that's pressured anywhere where pressure is a factor. You don't even have to be in the South actually, but it, it's talking about finding that good cover and then finding that escape route where that deer is going to leave, whether it's just, you know, like leaving to go get a bite or if it's leaving, trying to get away from what it perceives as danger. And he said, um, uh, you, you want to find the most cover for him to get out. That's upwind. And that's usually the way he's going to go. So basically, uh, like upwind of the bedding area, that buck is going to try to slip out of an area with good cover. And we saw that firsthand um, when we hunted with him, Jacob, uh, a couple weeks ago. I mean, exactly what he talked about in this episode. He's like, yeah, we'll hunt until, you know, 10 or 11. And then, you know, some people get down and, and go get lunch. Uh, some people just have to leave. And, and then that buck will get nervous, and he'll he'll go slipping out on a thick draw, you know, on the backside." And that's where they usually get killed. And I'll be danged if when we were hunting with them, Jerry didn't kill a buck doing exactly that thing. Yep. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, Wesley's whole episode is something that's very interesting. And I, again, I, I highly recommend that episode to go back and re-listen to. And what was the episode number for that again?
1: 146. And another segment I'm going to stick in there is, uh, around the like 35 minute mark or so, or I, it'll probably just be one big snippet. But, um, where he's talking about he figured it out because and this is why it makes so much sense he was watching like this discovery channel and he was watching a show about like wolves or like the painted dogs of Africa like how they hunt and he's like you know that one chasing the deer he he he, he never gets it you know but his two buddies waiting around the corner they they're the ones that always get the thing and you know how he was just one day thinking like you know that makes a lot of sense you know there's a lot of uh a lot of years that, that went into those wolves, like developing that kind of thing that wolves do now. Um, so he was like, it's kind of nature's design. Like it's a, it's an extremely effective tactic. Um, so I don't know. It's super, super interesting, super entertaining. And he makes some really excellent points. It uh, makes an excellent case for hunting with other guys who you trust and having that, that group where you tell each other everything about these spots. And that's something that, that we've consistently done over the last couple of years that has just been uh like it's just successful um and you got to have a group of guys that you trust and all that but you know if you have that man it's uh it makes a big difference I mean th- this new spot that me and you were going to start deer hunting like I- I've, al- I've already been in there like once or twice and I mean you know everything that I know so now when you go in there for your first hunt I mean, you're not going in, you know, ground zero, like knowing absolutely nothing. I mean, you're going in there with some, at least the knowledge that I've gained. You know, I sent you the pins and everything. So you kind of know what you're walking into and then vice versa. Whenever you go in there, like hopefully sometime this week or something, uh, like you'll tell me what you see. And then we're just building that knowledge base every single time. And hopefully enough to where we'll be able to tag a nice buck before season goes out. Yeah, and
0: you know, one of one of the best examples of doing that. Um, and I think we did an episode on that is actually when we were hunting North Alabama last year and uh, there was how many guys how many of our buddies were up there hunting? Like six, seven, eight? Yeah,
1: I wanna say And we were all kinda like built, we
0: were all kinda like sharing info over like two or three days and had like a total of like sixteen man days in a spot or in a general area. And we learned so much from just like us all kind of sharing knowledge back and forth of what we were seeing compared to like if you just went out there solo and you just like, you know, just struggled the whole time. Because maybe you, you're not seeing anything in this one spot, but the buddy, your buddy, that's 300 yards down, you know, on a different, you know, kind of habitat type or something or a different funnel. Maybe he's having to you know, swing by him and kind of maybe go downwind of you. And it's like you just learn so much when you kind of hunt. And that was a bow hunt. That wasn't even hunting with a rifle. Um but how you can learn so much from, you know, sharing that knowledge with a you know a group of buddies that's all kind of like playing the same area and you're all kind of working together for the, the greater good of the whole group. Um, so and, and again, Wes absolutely does that. Also, one thing about Wes's episode and Andrew, uh, you'll probably agree with this when I say it, but I don't know if you thought about it. <clears throat> Wes talks about in this episode. I think you said you know one of these segments might cover this, but how that buck, that mature buck, a lot of times will try to exit that thicket. With his wind and his advantage, he's going to work into the wind into, mm-hmm. like, the next closest thick cover. Yeah, and even, that is, even
1: now, after all this, that quote when he said, the most cover for him to get out that's upwind is the way he will go. I rewinded it a couple times. I'm like, upwind, upwind. Okay, I got it. I got it. <laughs> well, if if you think about it, what, and th- I mean, this is a pressured deer that's, you know, exiting
0: that thicket. That is absolutely what a killing wind is that Travis uh, Murray talked about uh, on, what is it, last week's episode? Yep. So, you know, where that buck is a lot of times going to exit that thick cover with the wind in his advantage, and it's very tough to be able to get a shot, especially with a bow in that situation. But when you're hunting with a wolf pack or hunting with a group of guys like that, what Wes talks about in that episode is getting just off wind of where that buck's going to pop out into that next thick cover um which is a lot easier to do with a rifle than it is with a bow um but again that's absolutely talking that's the same kind of concept as a killing wind which i thought was very interesting and when we talked to travis that's
3: exactly what i thought as well well for years you know i've sat in tree stand by myself my son was too young uh, you know and i have hunting partners you know scott smith he he got me started i've hunted i go down to Bopolis hunt with him that's where he lives and you know when i hunted and i've sat there so many evenings and you know, knowing those big bucks were over there in that thicket, and just did not know a way of getting them out, just couldn't figure it out. You know, my son came of age, and he's an avid deer hunter, and you know, and the pieces kind of fell in place. And basically, I just kind of got thinking about it. <laughs> there was a big buck down there, and um, we set up on him, and I set up on him where he would smell me, and I knew would say when I'm when I say I knew he was in there. I ain't talking about it ten square feet i knew he was in about a hundred yard area so i set up deliberately for him to smell me well sure enough about nine o'clock he did not have enough smelling me and he started trying to creep out and my son busted him and I thought, oh, okay and then it just so happened i think i was watching nat geo or something um those uh painted wolves of africa painted dogs mm-hmm. i watched how they do it you know and they that That first one that starts after something, you don't get it. But there's two waiting on up there that will get that deer. You know, and the American wolf, they do the same thing. You know, a wolf by itself cannot run down a deer, but the pack can because they string theirself out and they'll just run it to death eventually. And, you know, and I got to thinking, hey, this, that's, you know, that's a lot of years of evolution there and that's the best way they can do it. And if you're hunting in a pack, that's probably the way to do it. And what we do, we string out and, I might not get that deer, but if that deer moves and he's trying to come out of there or anything happens that bumps him, he's going to have a bad day. And that's the way we set it up. And, uh, everywhere. And we used this strategy. Uh, we went to three management areas last year. We'd never been to this area that we went. And we came out with deer every time using the same strategy. Um, you know, we set a couple, we set a couple people, upwind a couple people downwind and we come out with deer and we always catch him trying to sneak out the other side especially the little two and a half and three and a half year old bucks you know that old buck he's he's smart enough to stay alive but he's not smart enough to control himself after he smells you a couple hours he's he it's gonna get on his nerves a little bit i believe this is what happened i haven't asked him but um you know, after a while, he get a little nervous, and he'll start trying to sneak out. He'll get out of there. And he thinks, okay, well, this hunter's over there. I know he's there. Okay, there's another hunter. Maybe he smells two of us. Okay, well, maybe I need to ease back out this way, and I'm going to go somewhere else get away from him. Well, there's our other two guys sitting there. And it's worked. I mean, it's worked a lot. And that's the reason we call ourselves the wolf pack. We kind of hunt like a wolf pack. We surround the area, and play the wind to our advantage and that's the way we actually hunt yeah it just uh well let me go to the first part of that um okay generally it's gonna be the most inaccessible place of that thick i mean what's the hardest place to get to i mean what would be an advantage to that deer over you i mean you can't see him you can't get to him without him knowing you're coming he has a good escape route out the other side he has cover going out this other side, you know, they will do it. Like a deer won't take off. the. If he's got to pick between, say, let's run through these woods or run through that pasture, he's going to pick the woods. They like cover. So find some cover coming out of it. You know, a lot of times, especially these management areas, when you come to these thickets and these cutovers, there'll be draws going up the hills and stuff like that. Well, generally them draws are thick. Now, if you can find that, that's generally the way he's going to try to sneak out of there. He, you know find the most cover coming out of that thicket. we're not talking about just the thicket, but if he's going to escape out if he's going to sneak out find the most cover for him to get out that's upwind and that's generally where he's going to go and the other part of the question um uh, well i don't i don't forgot what it was now
1: <laughs> how, how long well, it takes him to get up when they're smelling you
3: now what i'm thinking and and the only reason i think this is because there's a certain time between like about eight thirty and about ten thirty. that's when we kill the most deer. And what I think it is he he knows you come in. I mean, they're in it for their life, you know, they know you're coming in. Every animal in the woods has an alarm call. I mean, I tell our guys, I said, remember. You know, you're not just hunting the deer, you're hunting the, the, the squirrels are watching, you. the chipmunks are watching, you know, watch your, you know, watch your movements, watch your sound. Everything's got alarm call and that deer knows what all of them are. So he knows you're coming in there. And then maybe he gets a whiff of you. Well, the first thing most of them will do is just, if they're in thick place, they just go sit down. I mean, that's just where they're going to be. Well, you're in a tree, he's in, he's sitting over there in the thicket. He can smell you. He knows you're there. Well, you know, after a while, he may start losing his nerves and they start trying to sneak out. They'll get away from, you know, the threat. Eventually, when everything calms down, they calm down. They'll say, okay, well, I'm going to sneak out. They go to sneak out and then there's the other two hunters that he don't know about sitting there. And that's generally the way it works with us.
1: All right. Last up is Nathan Killen. Uh, Nathan is one of our more recent episodes, um, 171 is is his episode number, and uh, Nathan is a dude who, um, is he he's Virginia, right? Yes, sir, Virginia. Okay, yeah, he he's a Virginia mountain buck hunter. He's killed some absolute slammers in Virginia, uh, which Virginia is a little bit of a sleeper state. It seems like sometimes. I mean, some of the bucks that I see coming out of Virginia, I'm like, goodness. I mean, I know it's tough hunting, but you know. Golly, there's some nice ones, but anyways, Nathan covered a whole lot of real interesting stuff, and kind <clears> of, <throat> you know, if you're wanting to boil it down, one of the biggest tips that that Nathan put out there was the fact that if you want to kill big, mature bucks on public land in this part of the let's say let's just say east of the Mississippi, you have to adopt a totally different mindset that you're, that you're no longer hunting like a white tailed deer. You're hunting like a mature buck. Uh, and it, it's a, it's a really fascinating and entertaining episode on that. Um, one of the specific snippets that I'm going to put in here is just, uh, he's, he's talking about the loops that deer make. Um, and, and basically this is referring to how down here, I don't think that deer, and a lot of people would agree with this, like, that deer's not going and he's not laying in the same bed every night and he's probably not laying in the same bed every week uh they they have like home ranges and they they move on loops to these home ranges and nathan talks about that a little bit and and it's it's very very interesting to hear kind of how he breaks it down and how you know especially nowadays you might be told like oh don't Stay mobile. Don't don't hunt the same tree twice. First time in is your best time. You know. I mean, Glenn Solomon said that. But Nathan, on the flip side, on a, in a lower deer density area, and Michael Perry says the same thing. Sometimes you know you might be in the right spot, but you're just not there on the right day, and you just have to give it time because that deer is not in that part of his home range at that moment, and you gotta you gotta put your time in and wait for him to circle back through. And, you know, I, I compared it to like when I used to trap coyotes, it's kind of the same thing. You set all your traps out and I would, I would even go out at night with a howler and I would run that howler and get the pack to respond. And, you know, they'd be over here one day and they'd be over there the next day. And then, you know, you, you wouldn't catch anything for a couple of days and then bam, they were there and you'd get, and you'd get them. And then like a, a week would go by with nothing and then bam, you'd get them again and Nathan says that, I mean, that's pretty much how these deer are working. I mean, their, their, their home ranges are, he, I think he used the term usually, uh, longer than they are wide and, uh, that sometimes you just got to put in time, you know, to, to kill that thing. Um, and then, like I said, hunting mature bucks versus deer, uh, Jacob, what do you have on Nathan killing? Yeah, well,
0: Nathan's just a fun episode. Again, talking to a guy that has so much knowledge, you know, strategically targeting, you know, like the upper age class bucks in the area, um, you know, on public land uh, is just fascinating. And any guy like that, I'm always very interested to just kind of hear their perspective on everything and what makes them successful, because it's a really big deal to go out there and hunt for a a specific age class, of buck, um, and try to take that kind of upper echelon of deer from the herd. Uh, As um, Andre DeQuista would say, you know, going in and surgically removing that mature buck from the herd. Um, Again, very, very interesting. And kind of hit his thought on kind of how he uses that terrain to his advantage and kind of how he focuses on, you know, how those big bucks are going to use that terrain. You know, kind of sticking to those really steep slopes and sticking to that super thick cover, kind of that mountain laurel and rhododendron. Uh, in, a, in a areas that a lot of guys just don't want to go into and that's where he's finding targeting and killing these big mature bucks in West or in Virginia.
4: Oh yes, yeah that they have uh, you might call it a loop or a circuit or whatever that they you know that they uh, run and usually it's it's longer than it is wide. Um, but uh, yeah it, it, sometimes it just takes several days uh, hunting in just the exact right spot to catch him coming back through there. And, and, and that in low deer populations, you can sit there for several deers and never lay eyes on anything.
0: So, one thing I want to touch on, and you had brought this up before we started recording, is the difference between hunting mature, like very mature bucks, versus hunting deer. Can you give us your perspective on that and really what someone needs to be paying attention to because it's a different mindset and we've talked about it a little bit today so far, but really let's dive deep into that because I think that's something that's important, especially for the guy myself included that wants to start killing older age class bucks on public land.
4: Yeah. Uh, I think that, that that is probably the number one reason that 90% of uh, guys do not kill older age class bucks and that's really what separates you know the the guys that consistently kill big deer from the guys that do not you know you can talk tactics all day long you can talk um topographic features all day long but what it really boils down to and and this this is what really people need to get is when you decide that you're going to want to kill a really big deer you've got to realize that you're hunting a completely different animal and i can't stress that enough because you really are once that buck you know you'll see them out in these fields and stuff during the summer with their uh bachelor groups uh with uh, velvet on their antlers and stuff but once that velvet comes off there's some kind of switch trips in their uh uh in them that and they become a completely different animal and They're just, and I think that it's just, um, they want to be by theirself, you know. They're, they're, uh, a lot of things are going on and changes within their body. Uh, you know, the, the rut is coming on. They get really territorial. And, um, so, you know, that you just really need to realize that, that they well that you're hunting a different animal. And, Whenever you're hunting a different animal, if you you got to think that this deer he's he's wanting to be by himself and stuff like that, so you've got to start hunting areas that uh, that have less deer sign than normal areas that you would be setting up in. You know, it. You know, if if you was trying to hunt me, for example, and I and I avoided other people, you're not going to catch me at Walmart. You know, you're going to catch me probably at home you know and, and i'm not uh, i'm not going to leave much sign uh you know because i'm just one deer you know if there was a whole bunch of people here we would be leaving all kinds of sign but just me i'm not leaving much sign so it's going to be easy to 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 miss me i guess you could say but now uh, you know y- you are going to find buck sign of course but there's going to be You know, not, there's not actually going to be a whole lot of it because it's just him there. He's going to leave most of his sign uh, where most of the other deer are, you know, because he's, he's wanting them to know he's around, but, uh, you know, so hopefully that makes sense to you.
1: All right, folks. Um, we, so we took y'all to task like last week or whenever it was about, uh, reviews on iTunes, especially, and we were looking at it, and so you have, like, the, the, the review count, and then you have the written reviews below it. And it showed that we got a bunch of new reviews, but no written reviews. So we're like, come on, guys. Like, leave us some written reviews. Well, okay, so iTunes is, like, sandbagging us or something. Because we just went to Chartable, which shows uh, written reviews. It shows all the written reviews we get on um, Apple Podcasts. And there's 15 new written reviews. Y'all are awesome. 15 new ones that are not on iTunes. I don't know what iTunes is doing to us, man. They're, they're trying to bring us down, man. I don't, I don't like it. we got to knock out some of these some of these
0: reviews. we got to read some of these as a little thank you for you guys for leaving them to us. Again, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please go, especially if you listen to iTunes, which statistically over about 70% of you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Uh, so if you can, if, again, once you get done listening to this episode, pause or just pause this. Go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave us a written view, kind of like what you like about the show, maybe some stuff you'd like to hear about the future. Just has some feedback for us. It really kind of helps us reach more people. It's a great way to kind of see direct feedback from you all as to kind of what you're really enjoying. Uh, so, this is one big thing you, you can do for us, and we really, really appreciate that. But I'll start us off with a couple of them. Um, I'll do one. We'll just kind of rotate back and forth, and we'll do like five or six, okay? Yeah. So this first one uh, is called uh, Just Perfect Timing, Five Stars. And this is from uh, Fupa Fighter. And this is on, again, Apple Podcasts. Uh, he says, just listen to Travis Murray's episode. And coincidentally, I'm in the process of building my
1: own cell phone. This is fate, boys. I'm mother effing punk. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, I'm going to skip up ahead. Um, this guy Kyle Settle said, five stars, much better than Meat Eater. If you are a Southern hunter, this should be your go to podcast. Appreciate it, man.
0: Love it. It's quite this a compliment. Is from K, dude, this is from K. Watts. Uh, four or five stars, not four stars, five stars, baby. Title is Amped. Thanks for bringing us. Uh, thanks for bringing some interesting tactics and thoughts to us hunters in the Southeast. I don't even like hunting shows that are focused on the Midwest, et cetera. Keep the episodes coming, of course, man. That's what we're here for. That's that's one of the reason why uh, it makes us very, very happy every week to be able to produce just uh, episodes for you guys. Uh, that is very much keyed in on our kind of trained habitat from you know local uh, successful deer hunters. All
1: right, here's a here's a pretty pretty long one. Um, it is from <coughs> um, J. Apple West. I guess is how you say that. Uh, mm-hmm. Could this podcast be any better? Five stars. Um Dudes, those episodes with Travis Murray are tremendous source of, sources of information over several years of his experience and in shorter uh, and more concise time frame. They are great. The only deer hunter I've ever ran across with the same mindset as me, and I have not been nearly as successful as him or killed as many mature deer as him because basically, well, most of our professional lives and careers don't allow us that much time in the woods that's definitely right um i've killed many deer over the years though and always hated it when someone said anyone could slip up on a deer and shoot it when my response was to all these greenfield and corn corn feeder hunters (laughs) in mississippi was well why don't you do it huh anyone can kill a deer out of a greenfield with a rifle at question mark yards I spend every waking moment I can in the woods, though. Man, keep those coming. Travis sold me so much on the Smoking for um, Effective Scent cover, I actually went online and purchased a beehive smoker so I could safely smoke up because I'd be the one to accidentally burn down a WMA by being in a hurry and careless. Me too. I'm, I'm totally afraid to smoke up because of that. Um, that was almost a horror story about smoking up in the ghillie suit. Those tips on things... Uh, such as hunting a killing wind are priceless as this old country redneck would love to would never have figured that out the rest of my life me too Uh, all the episodes are very informative please keep them coming Uh, I'm never too old to learn something new and effective about um, uh, new and effective about the outdoors and hunting and fishing five stars review here from North Mississippi awesome that was a great review man awesome yeah, that's fantastic. Uh,
0: so here, here's one here, uh, which is this uh, awesome podcast, five stars, from Scrub Buck Killer. Awesome podcast for deer hunters trying to step up their game in their hunting journey. I'm from Michigan and, apply, and have applied some of these tactics I've heard from podcasts and have had success. Excellent, man.
1: All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to find a specific one I saw. God, there's so many of them. Okay, here's one. Uh, hunting and strutting, ninety six. Merry Christmas. Five stars. Top two podcast, and you guys aren't number two. Awesome. Um, straight fire content, twenty four seven. Ginger bow hunter even met my aunt off the interstate, so I get my green topo hat for Christmas. Underrated gear reviews on YouTube. What can't you guys do? Nothing. God bless. Good job, Jacob. <laughs> going clap for you man good job so what's the story on that hold on like they just it was
0: it was a hiccup with shipping and uh, it was um, was it christmas eve i think it was christmas Eve. yeah i think it was uh, so uh, his aunt actually reached out to us on instagram saying that she really wanted actually yeah i think yeah, it was his aunt reached out to us on instagram wanting to uh, see if we can she could Come up here uh, from Prattville uh, and meet me uh, to be able to get the hat so they could give it to him for for Christmas. And I was like, I'm like, hey, listen, I'll just drive down and we can just meet somewhere. You don't have to come all the way up. And uh, so, anyways, Christmas Eve got done with the family and just rode out there, met her and. Got her the hat and now he's writing the review, man. So that's awesome.
1: What a good dude. Good job, Jacob. Good job, bud. <laughs> man, that's, that's what I'm here for. Making people's
0: make people's Christmas. You're like that's, that's you're like I'm old here. Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> just, it's adorable. Um, so here's one. This is a five stars. Uh title is New Podcaster from Double Loop. Um, yeah, that's the name Double Loop. Awesome. All I can say. I learned something new on everything huh? i learned something new on everything i hear uh, also i listen to you guys i take bits and pieces uh, with me on my daily outings and i always get into the woods after the season to prep for next season very cool awesome 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 uh, now i'm gonna read i'm gonna read another one just right here um this is just a thumbs up five star review from uh, white tail for life uh, love hold on Love the show. I hunt uh, public and private land in East Texas. Relevant information from my part of the world. I would love to hear a land management episode from Mr. Murray. Uh, I would love if y'all could find an East Texas trophy killer to interview. I would love that too. (laughs) We we can can work on that, brother. We can work on that.
1: All right. This is my last one, and then we're going to shut this bad boy down. Uh, Love the show. Five stars from Hunter 97 I got my first and only Florida public land buck earlier this season using tactics from this show. Great show. Would recommend to all Southeastern hunters. P.S. You teased a Florida episode earlier this season. Us Florida boys need that content, guys. Jacob, what is the status on that? Because I'm just as eager as everybody else. You know what's hilarious? I was actually uh, texting him today, that guest
0: today. Uh-oh. Um, and, uh, he actually just killed a freaking really nice public in, um, Florida buck. Oh. And he's been getting at, he's been getting after him, dude. And the cool thing is, uh, he's gonna be chasing, uh, rutting bucks, uh, all the way through the end of February. Um, oh, wow. so in Florida. So yeah, he's got some cool opportunities. So we're gonna try to line something up with him. Hopefully and kind of get that episode out, but yeah, it's very, very interesting guy. It has a lot of success, not only in Florida, but also travel around the country, hunting different pieces of public land.
1: That's super exciting. Um, Awesome. All right. Well, to cap us all off here, um, if you like this show, obviously the reviews are a big help. But another thing you can do is just share us with a buddy, uh, like text the episode over to somebody, share it on social media, you know, on your profile, on your story, share it in groups, you know, whatever you can do to help. That makes a giant difference for us. It really does. Uh, more than you'd expect. Um, but Jacob, you got anything you want to close with? Uh, just, again, if you want to support the show and also
0: uh, rock some of our new merch, we've got, again, hats on the website. Uh, we've actually – I've got uh, some hats I actually need to ship uh, coming up very soon. Um, but, again, if you want to check out some of our new hats that so we've got, uh, four different styles, you can go to our website, which is the southern outdoorsman.com forward slash shop. And you can check those out you can order those and again we'll get those mailed out to you i uh, really appreciate everybody that's already purchased hats especially through the month of december um hopefully they all got to you i know the uh, postal service was absolutely crazy uh a lot of shenanigans but um again if y'all do have your hats and you really enjoy them it'd be awesome if you tag us in a story on instagram with you wearing those hats or something with those hats and we'll share that that would be fantastic um but appreciate everybody's already purchased hats and left us reviews um other than that uh, y'all have a blessed rest of your week and we'll see you back here on thursday uh, for this week's listener success story thanks again everybody for tuning in to another episode of the southern outdoorsman and thank you to blackberry smoke for the music for the podcast also to follow along with us make sure you check us out on facebook instagram and youtube And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay southern.
1: You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we have went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you. Whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.